I want to um, I want to share something with you, uh, kind of corporately about church for a moment, and uh, then I want to share with you a dream. I had a dream last night that I think is for someone here in the room, and I want to share that with you. And then I want to um, I'm going to do all of this in 15 minutes. <laughs> You're allowed to go behind your mask. Yeah, right. Um, uh, then uh, I want to share something that, that's kind of more, more personal that you can really personally apply this morning out of all the things that I'll have shared. And then we're going to take communion together. Is that okay? And you've got your little, you, have you got your little thing? It's not a washing machine tablet. Don't try and swallow it whole. Chris will give you full instructions <laughs> and a small pen knife to get into it, I think. It's, it's quite tricky. But anyway, it's, uh, it's COVID secure, which is wonderful. Um, All right, I want to talk today about decisions. Uh, Decisions are incredibly powerful. And actually, uh, the title of my message is Decisions That Define Us. Uh, Nothing is going to define you like your decisions. And I think it's very easy to get drawn in all sorts of directions, isn't it, in life and and, uh, pulled into um, ways that we can look at life and think, well, how have I ended up here? I want to be really clear Uh, God has given you the sovereign power to make decisions. He's given you free will, and even he doesn't override that. And so we're in this powerful position of being able to say, what do I decide about? And there you go, just about anything. I want to begin by reading something that I've just been working on for the church and under the title of uh, Decisions That Define Us as a Church. And I've kind of been thinking and pondering, we've been having lots of conversations uh, behind the scenes about church, who we are, where are we going. And so I want to read this kind of little, almost like a manifesto for, well, this is what we decide about, who we are, where we're going, what we believe, and what we think the world should look like. Um, but then I'm going to personalize it, and by the end of it, um, uh, you might want to go home this week and write, well, I'm going to write my own manifesto. I decide that my life should be because you get that power you have that power and uh, don't let any uh, uh, friend foe leader enemy government uh, steal that from you you have the power to decide that's what God's given you amen Let me read this to you, and let me just see if you begin to catch the the sense of what I'm saying. And this is my little, it's kind of a work in progress, okay, so it isn't perfect. But it's what I think we're deciding as a church as I talk with, with, with leaders and we discuss things. So here we go. Decisions that define us at Revive Church. We have decided that Hull and East Yorkshire are a precious jewel to God. The forgotten city is not forgotten by God, but an unexpected Nazareth where God and his kingdom is arriving in power. So we, are unre- so we unreservedly give ourselves to love, serve, and transform this little corner of northern England. And so we also have decided to build an altar of prayer and worship to God right here. We're not a club for Christians, but a house of prayer for all nations. A temple to be filled with glory, a well of God's presence, and a gathering place where heaven and earth meet. We have decided to give much time in worship and wonder of our King. Pouring out costly worship offerings like Mary and praying with fervor like the early church so that people from many nations might be saved, healed, refreshed and revived. We have decided we're not an organization, an institution or a normal local church. Instead, we're a movement. Come on, somebody. 
a family, a tribe on a mission. In fact, a family on many missions, each transforming the world with God's wisdom, wonder, and ways. Each of us exists to transform homes, nations, politics, law, businesses, medicine, education, the arts, media, morality, and the family with the gospel of the kingdom. We have decided we are not a cozy club, that we are done with religion, tidy services, pretending, faking, or giving mere lip service to God. Instead, we are passionate pioneers and explorers. Our members are adventurers, not mere attenders. Our leaders are fathers and mothers, releasers and equippers, not superstars. We are a mission station, not a museum. We raise up world changers, not tour guides. We train commandos, not committees. We're a battleship, not a cruise ship. An army, not an audience. Special forces, not spectators. Missionaries, not country club members. Revived Church is a house of prayer, an army barracks, a training hub, an equipping school, and a sending center. We have decided that reading about the book of Acts without living the book of Acts is hypocritical. I hope there's a bit of a grunt going on behind that mask. Uh, Where are we? Lost my place. Getting so excited. And that hearing about the Holy Spirit without experiencing him is phony. We choose to be Holy Spirit filled, Holy Spirit led, and Holy Spirit empowered. We've decided to be the ones telling the stories of God's power, not the ones only ever hearing about them. We've decided that our youth and children are powerful weapons in God's hands, not merely to be babysat, redundant, or in waiting. They are leaders, glory carriers, miracle workers, mission team members, prophesiers, Bible scholars, and evangelists among us. Their prayers move heaven, and their praises silence our enemies. We've decided that singing songs without worshipping is shallow, and having meetings without God showing up is meaningless. We are God's house and we refuse to remain religiously in control of everything when he arrives in power. We flex every plan to his voice and adjust quickly to his whim. We submit every plan to his purpose and every gathering to his presence. We refuse empty rigidity, ritualistic liturgy and esteem intimacy above methodology. We know apathy is our enemy, dullness our destruction, pride is our kryptonite. And distraction is deadly. So we speak truth to each other. We guard each other. We confess to each other. And we challenge each other to greatness. As iron sharpens iron, so we guard the simple hunger, clarity, humility, and purity of this, our family. We've decided we will not shrink from the unfashionable truths of Scripture, but passionately and compassionately proclaim the full gospel of Jesus with unflinching faith knowing his love and truth can transform the most dysfunctional of souls of which we have all been. And still are, some of us. Anyway, we have decided, nearly over, don't worry. We have decided that we're not here to make our own name great or to accumulate numbers, members, or fame. We are deeply aware we are only one small part of God's glorious bride, family members of the world's greatest team and soldiers in history's most powerful army the church of the living God. Every local church in our region is our family. Their success is our goal and serving them is our heart. We're not limited to the four walls of any building. Our influence is not restricted by our location. Not even the nations are out of bounds. We are more concerned about how many we send out into the world than how many we convince to come into the building. This building is meant to be filled and it will be 
but it will not be the measure of who we are or the measure of our effectiveness. Last phrase. We have decided that we will not be satisfied until the world freaks out and cries. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Come on. That's what church should be, right? We have decided that. You know, in a world full of pressure and influence and uh, copying and appearances of success and pride and ego and comparison, it's so easy just to live a life trying to eke out the appearance of success, but never truly deciding to be something authentic. Uh, as the corny saying goes, so often we are born unique but die copies. We're born original. And my plea today, corporately and then we'll get on to personally, is that you know who you are and that you make a decision to be all that God has called you to be. Not what mom or dad or church leader or boss called you to be, or the bully at school or the critic at school or at work, but to be who God called you to be. You get to decide, every one of you, not just for the leaders or for the, and we all know them, the remarkably gifted. No, you are remarkably, uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully made for a perfect destiny. The beginning of the book of John, it says, in him was life. The Passion Version gives us a few more words to that and, and a way of saying it, which is beautiful. It says, in him, in God, in the beginning were many lives. Your life was in God before the foundation of the world. Who's making your decisions about life? The big ones, the small ones. As we come out of lockdown, out of this most unusual of years, it's really important, I want to encourage you, make good decisions. Think deeply about your life. Don't be shaped by shame or history, or fear, or family, or government. Probably the greatest thing that worries me about this last year, and I don't think it's conspiratorial to say it at all, even though I know it's hugely controversial to talk too much about what's been going on, because I know we'll all be very divided in the room. It's like Brexit all over again, isn't it? Honestly, some of you love the masks. I won't tell you what I think. Look at my eyes. And I get a lot of it's temperament. But, but so one thing that I don't think is conspiratorial, cons I can't even say it, conspiratorial at all. It's not conspiracy. This is just out there. That in the last year, the nation has been psychologically handled. Whether you think it should have been or you think that's abusive, and there's the separation. But one way or the other, absolutely, as a population, we have been psychologically handled, the whole nation, because we're not a police state. I grew up in and around countries uh, where you had to keep your papers on you. They were police states. They were much more uh, powerful in the sense of government than our nation. We live in an unusually free nation, and many of us so in the water that we swim in, we don't understand perhaps always what we're living in, right? We, we live in a, in a beautifully free country. 
and, and of course, again, whether you think it's right or wrong, in order to get a nation to comply, psychologists came, worked with politicians to come up with a plan. I want to tell you this. Make sure you are making decisions based on informed senses from heaven, what God is saying, informed decisions about life. I read uh, an incredible amount. Um, I, I love to read. I probably read about 15 to 20 articles on, on COVID every day because that's the kind of person I find information helps me make decisions. And I'll read the left-wing newspapers and the right-wing newspapers and the conspiracy theorists and the Lancet and the BMJ. I want to know what's going on. And my, my short headline, because I can't get too controversial, that's not what the pulpit is for. My headline is this, the future belongs to the brave. One way or the other, you have to access that part of you that knows how to be brave. I think you, sh you can access that as a non-Christian and decide I'm going to live brave because it's better to actually live than live dead. It's better to actually be brave than anything else. But listen, even more so as a Christian, don't we have to access Psalm 91 more than ever? Don't we have to remember that our heroes of old, none of them feared death. The sting is gone. The worst that can happen is I end up with Jesus. In other words, as a Christian, I win every time. We probably don't talk about death enough, do we? The, 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 the wonder of being in the presence of Jesus. That the Apostle Paul would say to live is Christ. In other words, it's pain and suffering. To death is gain. To live is Christ, death is gain. In other words, I can't wait to be with him. I think once our hearts are touched by him, there is a longing to be in his presence that outweighs the worry of death. Thank you for the, for the nods. We need to remember to be brave. And to know whether you believe in conspiracies or not, and to it's quite obvious, we have been uh, handled psychologically and coerced into certain behaviors. Now, you might say, well, that's fine within the context of what's gone on. Here's the thing. When you unleash fear, it will affect you for decades. And when fear begins to make decisions in your life and it stops you traveling, stops you being bold, even stops some are, you know, very worried about social interactions altogether, right? Now, I know all the introverts have loved lockdown. It's been heaven, hasn't it? I mean, box sets and cooking and the gardens looking better than ever. It's been fantastic. So half the population is like, no, you don't need to end. As far as I'm concerned, furlough me. Keep me going, right? But then the extroverts are like, oh, no, I need a hug. I need a friend. I need to. And, and that, that's aside from all of the trauma of I need to be with some lonely people in my family. Um, but here's the thing. I want to encourage you. Uh, make really, really informed decisions about your life. Really well informed. Read widely. Know what's going on. And then go to God and say, God, how should I live? And he will never say fearfully. He will never say fearfully. He will say 365 times at least in the Bible, fear not. Whatever you do, however you face it, however careful and wise you want to be, fear not. Because fear starts to make bad decisions for our lives and we need to get to good decisions. Oh, I haven't done me content at all. I'm nearly out of time. Here, listen to this. 
Decisions that define us. Listen to this verse. We better read the Bible at some point, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childish thinking behind me. I put away them. How do, how do children think? And move away from what I've just been saying for a few moments. Let's kind of start again and just do five minutes on this. Then we're going to take communion. How, how do children think? Impulsively, right? What's wrong with crisps for breakfast, right? Yeah, what's wrong with one more chocolate bar or one more Easter egg? Why can't I have five before bedtime? It's an adult that puts limits on it. Go, no, no, no. There's this scent. No, strictly speaking, crisps are okay for breakfast. Every parent of me is saying, "No, my child is sat here. Please do not say that." You know, come on, parent. Have you ever had crisps for breakfast? I don't think I have actually. That sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? But anyway. Uh, they think impulsively, they think with feelings, they think selfishly, they think self-indulgently. Um, they're quite okay with gorging on anything from computer games to chocolate. Um, they hanker for what matters little. They blame. And let's be honest, children are, are, are really good at believing nonsense. With fairy tales, and I won't go any further because I don't want to ruin anybody's setup at home. <clears throat> anything like that. Children behave with irrational fear and panic. We, we paid for Zach to stroke a dolphin once, which was great in theory when we sat in the crowd. But by the time he made his way down with his mum and stood in front of this beast that he realised was a lot bigger than he was. He's about four at the time. It was like, he's not touching it. So, so Vicky stroked the thing, you know, and, and Zach never even touched it. Irrational fear um, is a childish thing. So we need to beware when it's forces because it attracts demons is is released in a nation. It will affect it potentially affect decision for years. But adults put away childish thinking. It's less about feeling, impulse, emotion. Life really is about good decisions. What about for you beginning to write something of a manifesto for your life? I decide I'm going to be brave. You have to pick your, your wisdom around that. I'm not for one moment. To, you, you know you and your life's, uh, um, y- y- the foibles and the anomalies and the uniqueness of you. But however you approach it, I want to encourage you, live the bravest version of you possible. I even wrote at the top of my journal one morning, if I was brave, I would. And then I began to write. Imagine that as a thought for your next quiet time. If I was brave, I would. I would, I would, I would go and tell my, I don't know, make some up. I'd go and tell my father-in-law, not true for me, go and tell my father-in-law about Jesus. I, I would leave my job and go find this other thing that I've always dreamed of doing. I would, I would, I would start that hobby that I never started, that I longed to when I was 15, but someone said something and it never happened. How many decisions are made by external forces when they're things that you can make? Adults make decisions. Joshua charged the people in Joshua 24, choose this day whom you will serve. And he said, you know, this God or that God. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jeremiah, it says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. It's a powerful, powerful decision. And there's big decisions in life. Um, I was reading a book about my uh, kind of some spiritual history in Gibraltar, and there was a kind of section in it about my grandparents in Gibraltar. And um, 
I, I didn't know this, but for years before my grandparents went to Gibraltar, because they were there before we were there, um, whenever Gibraltar was mentioned, my grandfather would just start to cry. And then eventually start to realize that the tears are God speaking. You know, sometimes we cry over things that are connected to our destiny and we just think it's just emotion. But what is it that makes you cry? You're watching it on telly and it makes you cry. You're discussing it and it makes you emotional. How many little decisions are waiting, as it were, in the spiritual realm for us to go, okay, we need to make a decision about that. If I was brave, I would. And they're big life decisions. God trying to get through to us like waves on the seashore. Then there's small decisions, little ones. I was a bit grumpy yesterday. Anybody ever get grumpy? Thank you, Diane. I just thought it was just me. At least there's one. I was feeling grumpy yesterday. And um, it was the middle of the day. And I'm feeling a bit grumpy. And um, I, Vicky and I and, and Zach, had we'd said before, we'll go and play squash. Squash courts are open now, so. Vicky looked at me and said, right, are we going to go play squash? It wasn't booked. You can just turn up this one particular one that we go to. And I, oh, I really don't feel like playing squash. I feel grumpy. And she said, you need to play squash. I just don't want to play squash. I feel grumpy. Yeah, but you'll feel better after you play squash. I don't want to play squash. I feel grumpy. And then she said, and this is how friends help us make good decisions. Right, you're playing squash. Get out of bed, it was midday. No, I was lying on the bed, I wasn't still in bed. Come on, we're gonna go and play squash. We went and played squash, guess what? I felt great. <laughs> Thanks, mum, he must have won. No, it was the exercise, mother, that's the point. Don't we need friends? Our, our friends that are, let's say, here's an important one, and I've been there, so I'm not belittling it in one moment, but uh, are in a, in a depressed state. Depressed people aren't generally sad. That's a common misconception. They lose all their will, which is why it makes no sense when it's kind of pull your socks up sort of language. It does not work because it's just, you just want to turn over in bed. It's not actually morose sadness. That can be part of it. But the core problem is a complete loss of will. What's the point everything becomes? So you need that friend to go, I'm taking you for a walk, whether you want to or not. I'm taking you for a walk in the sun. We're going to sit in the sun on a bench and we're going to let vitamin D soak our skin because it's going to help. What are, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to help you write that new job application. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to take you out for a coffee and we're going to go and have some fun. Don't we need friends and family that help us make good decisions? Why? Because decisions define us. It's the, we're not um, succumbing. We don't live to succumb to our emotions and our, and our, and our will and, our, and our, our longing to, to, to gorge crisp packets in the morning or anything like that. What matters most is what are you deciding? And we can help each other make great decisions and live great lives in the big things and in the little everyday things. I choose not to be grumpy. Vicky, help me with that. I choose not to be grumpy. What, I'll, I'll round this up real quick because I've gone on too long. I hope you got something from it. What do you choose the rest of your life to be like? You get to choose what your marriage is like. You get to choose whether you encourage your kids to get involved in Christian youth activities and give them a hope of knowing Christ their whole lives. You get to choose to change a job. You get to choose what we spend money on, right? We get to choose. Um, write yourself an awesome manifesto that says, I have decided.
this is what I'm going to live like. And it might be that every year you have to add a couple of things to it. But begin to think, my life is not the sum of others that I can blame or, or outside forces. It's the sum of my decisions. Decisions define us. The greatest decision of all is to decide to follow Jesus. You know, look how it defined those disciples' lives when he just walked up to them and he left them with the complete choice, follow me. And then he kind of walked off and they had a choice. Do I or don't I? And the rest of their life was defined by that crossroads when they decided to follow Jesus.